On today's episode of Invoke Insights, we hear from Matthew Gould, CEO of NHSX, former British ambassador to Israel, and previously Director General for Digital and Media Policy for the UK Government. In conversation with Dr Mike Lynch, OBE, Matthew discusses the digital transformation of the NHS, the dawn of personalised medicine, and the potential for AI and automation to transform healthcare. So Matthew, thank you very much for taking the time to have a chat today. Um, must be said, you're probably one of the nearest things to a modern polymath, I can imagine, in that you're the go-to man for recommendations on Persian meals and uh, cybersecurity and technology and healthcare and, and uh, a long list of, of other things that you've done in your career. So um, in 20 minutes, it's going to be quite difficult to get through all of those. So we may have to do Persian meals another time. But uh, one thing I did want to ask you about, which is in the news today, is the, um, some might say, final um, arrival of the uh, internet harms uh, legislation uh, and the, the idea that you know, we are going to see some, some boundaries on what's acceptable in um, uh, the social media and online world. Um, and I know that's an area that you've uh, done a lot of work in behind the scenes. So uh, are you pleased with how it's all turned out? Well, um, in my, this isn't about my current job, but my previous job when I was Director General of Digital Policy at DCMS. And there I started uh, an uh, online harms and security team, and we came up with the, uh, the, the plan and the, the framework which is um, being announced uh, today by the government. So um, look, I think it's, uh, I think it's, I, it's a serious, uh, well thought through attempts by the government to do something which hasn't been done uh, uh, anywhere else in this form, um, which is to, uh, in the world, which is to tackle in a, in a sort of comprehensive and systematic way the risks um, that um, online harms pose. Um, I haven't been in DCMS for the best part of two years, so um, I, I, I'm a bit out of date in terms of what's happened since I left, but it, it's identifiably the same plan as I was working on when I was there, and it, it's nice to see it come to fruition. Um, and obviously a lot of thought has gone in the, on, in the meantime to mitigating some of the risks and issues associated with what we were planning, so um, it leaves me optimistic. No, I think it's a really interesting development because obviously the reality is that this is, online world is, is so, so central to so many people's lives now that you're making a start in starting to put in a, uh, a sophisticated and, and forward-looking framework does seem to be a good thing. So that was what you were doing then. Obviously now um, you've been spending a lot more time uh, thinking about technology and um, healthcare. Um, We've come through this sort of incredible year, which has really highlighted to people a whole series of things that they probably didn't think about every day, things like bed capacity and, um, and how data is used and risk and things like that. 
Do you think the COVID experience is actually going to lead to an acceleration of technology into the health service? I think it has already accelerated both uh, digitization and attitudes. So at the start of the year, just to give you a, 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 an interesting data point, um, about 3% of uh, GP surgeries were enabled for doing online consultations. We think that's now above 99%. Um, at the start of the year, almost every consultation across the, the health service was done face-to-face. -face. A very high proportion of them are now done remotely. At the start of the year, very few people, particularly clinicians, were working from home or felt able to work from home. We've now shown that it, it is totally doable. Now, some of this is obviously a function of the particular pressures of the pandemic, but I don't think it'll go back to where it was before because we've shown that certain things are possible that are actually rather helpful regardless of whether there is a pandemic or not. So it is much better for everyone if um, people don't need to keep going into their GP surgeries or hospitals for very routine conversations that could be done online or over the phone. So I think that will change. I think uh, we, people, both staff in health and care and the public have realized that healthcare can be delivered differently. And so it's opened the door and it's opened attitudes. And then for me, I think the most exciting thing of all is it's not just about, and it hasn't this year just been about doing the same thing, but online, but actually we've, we've, we started with digitizing existing processes, but more and more we are looking at genuinely transforming services and healthcare using digital technology. So, so to give you an example, um, if, you're, if you have hypertension, then uh, unless you can afford your own uh, blood pressure monitor, um, which quite a few people do, but by no means everyone, then if you want your blood pressure monitored, you have to schlep into your GP or um, hospital on a regular basis to see how your, your blood pressure is doing. Now, we are um, distributing a, a, a tens of thousands of blood pressure monitors, um, all with a digital underpinning, so that people can monitor themselves, look after themselves at home, their clinicians can see how they're doing, the quality of data and the frequency of data will be much higher, it saves a huge amount of patient time. It also saves a huge amount of clinician time. And it means that clinicians can focus on those patients who most need attention rather than just the enormous flow of people who need to have blood pressure monitored on a regular basis and were previously going into GP surgeries. The only thing I'd say on that, Matthew, though, is that, you know, for the last 20 years, I've, I've sat in meetings about... You know, using more data in the health service and, you know, even more exotic things like, you know, diagnostic support tools and things like that. And although to a technology person, it all seems like a wonderful thing to do, um, you know, it, it has taken longer than people thought it would 
and you know, there seems to be good progress being made now. But you know, why 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 has it taken um, in in the particularly in healthcare? Uh, what have been the barriers to getting that data used and the benefits of it? So look, this is almost for me the absolutely central question, and. In tech terms, as, as you will know better than anyone, what we're, what we're doing, what we're trying to achieve with data is, is, is a long way from cutting edge. It's what other sectors have done, in some cases, years and years ago. So, so it's exactly the right question. Why has it taken so long in healthcare? And I think there are a series of reasons. I mean, number one, I think the entire system has got itself in a tangle over information governance, where it is right to put, uh, an, I mean, a, the highest value on preserving patient privacy and not get not um, not uh, undermining public trust that their very sensitive health data uh, is being properly looked after. Um, but this has, in practice, led to really complicated guidance uh, from lots of different places and a, a, a fear of sharing data, even when it is absolutely the right thing and legal and appropriate to do so. So one of the things we need to do is sort that out. I think there are wider issues. It's not about the technology. It's, it's about attitudes and systems and incentives. And I think uh, sorting it out will be about people, will be about making sure people have the confidence, the skills, uh, making sure that the rules allow it, making sure that incentives align. So although it's, uh, it's on one level a tech question and a data question, solving it, is much more about people and institutions and the systems we've got in place. So on a sort of similar related issue, you know, we've got the general public understanding all about regulatory approval in a way that they probably never thought they would, as we've all watched with bated breath for the vaccines to be approved. And obviously there's been some quite amazing work done in, in shortening the timescales there. One of the big debates in um, tech is obviously the effect of personalised medicine. And what we're likely to see is, is medicines which are incredibly personalised to you know, one of the 10,000 variants of lung cancer rather than lung cancer and that sort of thing. Um, but that doesn't really fit with the traditional regulatory framework, which has generally been very much on a cohort basis. So do you think that we, perhaps even because of the realities of, of people following COVID and regulations, this is the right time to start to move to more sophisticated regulatory frameworks which move away from cohorts because of personalised medicine? Or do you think that actually we should stick with the old tried and tested methods? Where, where are you thinking on that sort of thing? And is it something that the public can be brought along with now post-COVID? So, look, I think, again, I mean, it's a really important question. And just before the pandemic, I convened all the chief executives of all the regulators and organizations involved in uh, AI in healthcare. And we had 16 different chief executives around the table. And we agreed that actually we need to create 
a set of regulations and a regulatory framework that gives the public and clinicians confidence, but also which allows innovation to flourish confidently in precisely the ways that you're talking about. Because uh, AI and um, data science and the use of data allow the, at least the possibility of uh, a personalized approach to, to medicine, which, which has long been dreamt about, but been very difficult to get to. Uh, so I think absolutely we need to look at regulation, but actually I think uh, even within the existing regulatory frameworks, if you could get um, data flowing safely but more effectively, if you were a doctor, an oncologist for example, looking at a, a patient who had a sort of particular situation and you could compare that patient against um, others with a similar, similar uh, a risk profile and look at what therapies work and what therapies don't work in real time, then even with the existing regulatory framework, we should be able to, to, to offer much, a much more personalized approach to medicine. And I mean, look, this is brought home to me by my wife's uh, experience who had uh, breast cancer and I mean was very well looked after by the NHS uh, but she went through chemotherapy not because the oncologist knew that she needed that chemotherapy but because there was a reasonable chance that if they gave that uh, chemotherapy to I don't know, a dozen people in her situation, then at least one or two of them would um, have a massive benefit from it. Now, it was absolutely worth it, absolutely the right thing to do. But if you could ensure that chemotherapy went only to those who would benefit from it rather than, for example, the, uh, a wider set of people and you're then essentially playing the odds, um, the saving in terms of um, resource for the health service, in terms of um, the, 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 the hardship of going through chemotherapy potentially unnecessarily, um, and the targeting of treatment much more precisely on those who need it, could across the health service have an enormous impact. I think that's a, a great error. I actually work with a, a Swiss company which does sequencing of, of, of tumours. Uh, so people talk about sequencing of people, but it's actually sequencing of tumours, just so that you would know which chemotherapy drugs would, would actually affect that tumour. And I think that that's technology we've seen trialled in the NHS recently. And uh, I think that that's a, a nice example. But what I wanted to do was perhaps give you a, a, a slightly unexpected twist on the data problem. So um, I was, um, I get lots of pitches from startups and I had one uh, a couple of months ago from a Californian company. And the basic idea was that for, for some amount of money, I could subscribe to a service whereby every day it would measure all sorts of things about me. And, you know, it would on Wednesday tell me that suddenly my amylene transferase enzyme was looking a little low or whatever. And I was thinking about this and I thought, well, the problem is, you know, if, if large numbers of the relatively well-off worried well 
are getting, you know, being told that their aniline transferase level is rather low today, even though it may have no clinical significance. Isn't there a danger that all of these people are going to turn up at the doctor's surgery and that the NHS is going to get overwhelmed? And the, the, the thing that I started thinking about was obviously we have a health service which at the moment uses you know, clinical and scientific input to work out whether drugs are useful and work or whether tests are reliable. But we're in danger with this consumer sort of technology approach to healthcare that um, we're going to have lots of patients turning up because their you know, iPhone has told them that uh, their aniline transferase is low today. How is the NHS going to self stop itself being swamped by the worried well if, uh, if we end up with this sort of you know, personalised consumer um, healthcare, which isn't really tied to the realities of clinical outcome? So look, it's a brilliant question, but I think my view would be that problem is really a transitional problem. That the old model was essentially your doctor is, uh, you put yourself in the hands of your doctor or your clinical team and you don't see your records and you accept passively the recommendations and the treatment prescribed for you and it was, it was very much an uneven relationship. Um, and that model has held for a, a long, long time. I think the, that it's no longer sustainable and there is an inexorable shift towards uh, people having access to their own health records and data, towards people producing their own data with whatever devices they're, they're, they're having, they're using. And as you say, people getting much more by way of signals of issues or potential issues around um, uh, how, how, how they are and their own health. Um, I think it would be a mistake, though, to, to respond to this by trying to calibrate how much information gets to, gets to people. Firstly, because... I don't think you can. I think that ship has long sailed. Um, but more importantly, because I don't think the answer to problems around people knowing something but not enough is to try and throttle information going to them. I think the reason I say it's transitional is because over time, I think we will create the tools and the knowledge that people need so they know if they find out that their blood pressure has risen a bit overnight or whatever it is they know when to be worried and whether when to consult a clinician and when to say okay well look this is something i'm going to note but it's within the normal range of variants and i'm not going to run up to a and e about it i think the best thing we can do is accelerate those tools and that understanding so that we give reassurance to the worried well rather than try to um, throttle off information to them to stop them worrying. Well, as, as, as a fully paid up member of the worried well, um, you know, I, just, I just look forward to the, the thing that tells me not to worry. Now, very short on time, but there's one area I'm passionate about hearing your views on, which is obviously there's been a lot of debate about the interface of social care and healthcare. 
And I've experienced, you know, some of the, the sort of difficulties in that, you know, unfortunately, my mother um, had Alzheimer's and she lived at home for a long time with the carer that would come in. And then um, she did something which is quite common in those patients, which is she got a urinary tract infection. And uh, that, uh, that has a strange effect in that it, there isn't much cognitive reserve. So she actually started hallucinating. And then the only option was an ambulance and she ended up um, going into Chelsea and Westminster where they were truly amazing staff. But she ended up blocking a bed for about seven days. Um, and um, really it was a question of, if the urinary tract infection had been caught early, um, you could have avoided that situation. And ultimately, those kind of episodes lead to her not being able to have been at home. So obviously, incredibly complex and difficult um, question. And you know, one has to be very humble to the people that actually are out there on the front line doing this. But it does strike me that this is an area where perhaps a little use of technology could be accelerated. You know, if we could have told that my mother was today suddenly acting slightly strangely or indeed even by monitoring what was going on um, in the toilet that she had a urine tract infection, the whole system would have uh, been able to handle her in a way that didn't involve ambulances and, and hospital beds. Is this a sweet spot? Is this a place where technology really can make a difference or are we really missing the clinical realities of these situations? I, th I think it is. But it's not just about technology. And I'm sorry about your, your mother's experience, which sounds, I mean, really upsetting. But health and social care sit in quite sharp silos and information does not flow effectively between them. And it's definitely something we're trying to address. And again, the technology is relatively the easy bit. It's the rules and the... Uh, the culture and the systems that allow this to happen. But we are trying to short circuit it. So um, one of the things we're doing this winter and it's going on as we speak is we're distributing 11,000 iPads to care homes around the country, which will allow for virtual consultations, uh, virtual visits from the family, um, and over time allow for key bits of uh, clinical information to be shared uh, between um, health and care and um, finding ways safely to share data across the, the, the healthcare divide I think will be absolutely key both for health and for, but for the NHS and for, for, for social care because it's clearly unsustainable and deeply suboptimal to be in a situation where people are discharged to care homes without the care homes having access to uh, essential information about their health and people going from care homes into the NHS uh, without the NHS being able to see essential information about their health before they were admitted. And it is solvable, it is a sweet spot, but the issue is Although we will use technology to solve it, the issue is not primarily technological. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense. Now, we are uh, just about to run out of time, so I need um, two questions for you, quick answers. If you look at all of the things that are going on in technology um, across the whole spectrum, and not just in relation to health, but across, I mean, 
Which applications of technology do you feel most optimistic about and which ones are you most worried about? So I am hugely optimistic in health around the use of AI to take out those tasks which can, uh, which can be automated, leaving clinicians to, to do the things where they add absolutely the most value, the edge cases, the caring, the human elements, the judgments, and so forth. Uh, so I think AI has the potential done well massively to improve healthcare. Um, what am I most pessimistic about? Actually, it's not a technology, but it's about trying to, it's about what, it's not a pessimism, but it's a, uh, a concern that though the technology opens enormous possibilities, to realize those possibilities will have to drive change in a, an extraordinarily complex multi-dimensional system, which has so far um, shown itself to, to adopt change in, uh, at a speed and with a consistency that isn't what we want. So, so my concern is, how do we drive change effectively across such a complicated system? Well, Matthew, thank you very much. I'm mindful of letting you get back to that um, Gordian knot, <laughs> which you're trying to un untie. Um, I am optimistic that um, you know we're going to see really quite um, some great steps forward in in healthcare um, with technology. However, always humbled by the reality that, um, as you put it so eloquently, it's not really about the technology at the end of the day. Um, it can aid but it's very much about the people that are doing all those things. So uh, with that, we've run out of time, which means it's, it's Persian cuisine will be our next session. And uh, I um, uh, thank you for spending your time to share your thoughts with us. Thank you very much, Matthew. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Really nice to speak to you, Mike.